thank you, Todd, and thank all of you for coming and letting me talk to you. I love to talk about the Bible and especially uh, this message, which has to do with a kind word to Pharisees. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, this is a message largely and mainly for me, since I don't know these folks, I just know me. And so when I, when I go to places that I don't know them, I just preach to myself and hope somebody might get helped. So I pray, God, that you would open this word and apply it to everyone here according to their need and that Christ would be magnified and our faith would be strengthened and our love of mercy would be built and our, our disgust with sinners would be overcome. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible and you want to watch and read with me, that would be where we're going to go. And if you don't, that's fine. You can just listen. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to talk about the structure of the chapter for just a moment. And then we're going to read the last part of it. So let's go to the beginning, chapter 15 of Luke, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. So tax collectors are these uh, turncoats, these Jewish expedient compromisers. Nobody likes them. They cheat. They're, they're bad. And everybody knew they were bad and, and then sinners, that, that term doesn't mean there are people who are and people who aren't. It means these are, this name is used for flagrant, open sinners. Everybody knows them that, that way. So now they're gathering and drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, that's, that's the other end of the religious pole, right? These are the experts in law and commandments and the most religious, the most rigorous religious folks around. That's where I'm seeing myself here. I'm a professional religious guy. This, they're grumbling and they're saying, this man, this Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So that's the setup of the chapter. Now, Jesus' response to that is the whole chapter. Three parables, right? There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. We usually call it the prodigal son. Those three parables are an answer to their question, what are you doing? Because in their mind, all he could be doing in eating with tax collectors and sinners is compromising, treating sin lightly, not really getting what's going on here, not rigorous in holiness. That's what they see, that's what they hear. And Jesus responds by telling three parables about what's really going on, right? Now, this happened once before, back in chapter 5, where they said to him, point blank, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he answered, "The, the well don't need a physician, It's the sick who need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. In other words, in that text, what's going on here is the doctor. When a doctor meets with a patient, he's not loving sickness. 
Okay? So, but here, that's not the answer. Here, the answer is three parables. Number one, a parable where uh, a man lost one sheep out of a hundred, and he goes out, and he looks, and he looks, and he finds it. And then look what happens in verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together the friends and neighbors, and they rejoice with me. And then he says in verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous. So he applies this party that he just threw, the celebration of the, I found my sheep. He says, now that's what happens in heaven when one of these tax collectors and sinners repents. That's what I'm about. I'm about looking for people to join the party in heaven who have repented. And then the second thing, got another parable. Let me give it to you again in case you missed it that time, Mr. Pharisee. Lost coin. A woman loses a coin, just a little coin, and she sweeps and sweeps. I want my coin back. She finds it, and so she calls all her friends together. Verse 9. She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. I found the coin. Let's, let's have a party. I found the coin. And, and then he says again, there will be more joy in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So do you get it, Pharisee? Do you get it? Scribe, this is what's going on here. I'm recruiting people to repent and come to the party in heaven where the angels are already making merry over their repentance. And then comes the most famous parable of all, the parable of the prodigal son. It's long. And there's this son who says, give me, give me my inheritance. I want to live on my own. I'm tired of the father. I don't want to be in his house anymore. And he goes away and he spends all the money and squanders it and lives riotously and winds up eating pig food in the sty. And, and he wakes up by grace and he says, goodness, it's great. It's better to be a servant in my father's house than this. I'm going to go home and, and just see if he'll take me. And so he comes home. This is, this is the, the lost Sheep, lost coin, lost son. Now here, you don't, you don't get exactly the same description. It's a lot fuller. Verse 20. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. This is what's happening at the park. This is what's happening in verse 1 and 2. Are you listening, Pharisee? Are you listening to me, Pharisee? And scribe. Do you see what's happening when I'm eating with these tax collectors and sinners? I'm running. I am the father. I am the father running. I'm God running to these people. And he said, the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, Quickly, get a robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let's eat, celebrate. This, my son that was dead, is alive. He was lost and he's found. And so you have a third party. Do you understand this, Mr. Pharisee? Do you understand? You, you got it wrong. You, you're grumbling about me eating with the, with, the Pharisee, with the tax collectors and sinners. You grumbled thinking, this is a compromiser. This is a man who doesn't love holiness. Doesn't care about the law and keeping it. And he said, that's not what's going on here. 
Three parables to show what's going on in seeking lost sinners. Now, that's not what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm, I'm now asking a second question, which Jesus asked, namely, the, the first question, what, what's going on with the tax collectors and sinners and my eating with them? And the second question is, why are you grumbling? Why are you so bent out of shape. Why don't you have categories in your mind and in your heart to process properly what's going on here? What's wrong with you? That's what the last half of the parable is about, starting at verse 25. That's what I'm preaching on. Let's read it. Pick it up in verse 24. The son... My son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his, old, his older son, now you got to get, this is the Pharisee, all right? The tax collectors and the sinners are the younger brother. The Pharisees and the scribes are the older brother. So now he's been, he's been explaining how he's relating to the sinners and the tax collectors. And now he's looking over the harlots and the, the mafia, the drug dealers. He's looking over their heads to the, to the critics. And he's talking to them with this part of the parable. So have that in your mind. Now his older brother, um, um, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house... He heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brothers come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed one of your commandments. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, comes, you, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And he's found. End of story. So much unresolved. And so much said for us. So this is a message for churchgoers and Bible Belt growers uppers. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. This is, this is 
me. So I don't know you, and so I'm just one here, one shot, and I'm gone. So I thought the safe thing to do is preach to me and see if there might be one or two out there like this. So this is a message for the older brothers among us. And uh, I hope it encourages the younger brothers too. It's sure meant to. This is about God's um, coming into the world to save hypocrites, not just sinners. Jesus is really hard on the Pharisees. He, he gets really angry. There are not many tender words for the Pharisees in the Bible. There are dozens of hard words. Whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. Blind leaders of the blinds, fools, making disciples and turning them into sons of hell, worse than yourself. He knows how to talk tough. Jesus knows how to talk tough, and he knows how to talk tender, and this is it. This is it. If you have never been spoken to tenderly as a Pharisee, this is it. What's wrong here is that this son has a relationship with his father that is just totally distorted and on the wrong footing, right? It's all dysfunctional and distorted and corrupted, and the the relationship is broken. (laughs) So let's see this. Verse 29 is the key to let you begin to see into what's wrong. Look, the younger brother says, I mean, the older brother says, look, verse 29, For so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. Now there's clues here about what's wrong with this relationship. Clue number one is the word serving. This is the language of slave and master. I have served you. I served you. Master, imagine what his father's feeling at this, at this moment. Like, why are you even using that language? Why are you talking that way? Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not that way. Why do you put me in that category? What's wrong here? I didn't do anything to do that, did I? Why have you turned this relationship into a slave-master relationship? I'm your father, The next clue is, I never neglected one of your commandments. You're just a command giver. You're a command giver. And I, I measured up and he didn't. Acts 17.25 says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. But he himself gives life and breath to every one You've got, a, you've got a slave, and you've got commandments, and you've got a master. That's all wrong. You're supposed to have a son and love and faith. And love being with the father. I'm so glad I can be with my father. And I love being at, at the table with him every night. He's so wise, so strong, so generous, so kind. That's not going on here at all. You're, you give commands, and, and I have kept them. 
Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served. So this, this is the Son who's got all service. I'm, I work, I work, I work. That's what I've done. Why aren't you paying? It's not what sons and fathers are about. Work and payment. It's not about that. This is just so deeply broken. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm coming into the world to give my life as a ransom. I'm after people. I'm serving you. You don't serve me. I don't recruit. (laughs) The gospel is not a help wanted sign. It's a help available sign. I used to jog through Minneapolis. I still do, but this route I don't take anymore. It's too long. <laughs> um, I used to jog down Franklin, turn left on Cedar, run up to Washington, come down and around down 11th Avenue. And there was this machinist shop on Cedar Avenue that had a permanent help one sign outside. Permanent. It was nailed to the, to the wall. And it was always there. Year after year, it was there. And when they didn't need help, they hung a big red no in the middle of it. And every time I went by, I said, yeah, that's the gospel. No help wanted. God is not coming into the world to get helpers. He is the help. He is the help. We're the needy ones. He's the helpful ones. I'm jogging by saying, glory, glory, no help wanted in heaven. I need help. This this son doesn't get that at all. He doesn't get that at all. So you need to test yourself here about whether you're the elder brother or not. When I was a teenager, this was where I failed the test. When I was a teenager and read this, there rose up in me as I got to the end and and heard him say, I can't. I served you all my life and I kept all your commandments. You never gave me a kid. My heart kind of said, well, that's a legitimate beef. (laughs) If you feel that way, you're in trouble. You are. I was in trouble. I didn't know me. I didn't know what was wrong with that. I probably had the same beef over in Matthew 20 where they paid the guy the same who worked one hour as the guy who worked all day, I said, he's got a beef. And, and, and Jesus said, can't I be gracious? Is your eye evil because mine is good? What, what, do you, what, what makes you tick, Piper? What, what makes you tick? Work makes you tick. Keeping the commandments makes you tick. Looking at whether you've measured up and that crummy brother of mine didn't measure up and he's getting party and I didn't get the party That's a broken view of a relationship with the Father and with God. So many people in the church and outside who don't get grace at their gut level. This is why they say, he's got a beef. He's got a legitimate beef here. He doesn't. We'll see shortly. What happens when you relate to God this way? When you relate to God the way the older brother relates to the father, it it disunites you with sinners. And you feel intuitively, I worked hard, they didn't. I should get, they shouldn't. Just this gut feeling. 
good way to test yourself, the one that indicts me the most is when you watch sin happen, ugly sin, serious sin, it's all over, right? Do you feel mainly disgust or mainly compassion? Pretty indicting question for a lot of us. Second thing it does is make you blame. Not just feel disgust, but start blaming. Listen to these words in verse 30. When this, your son, came home. What? What is that? <laughs> like, not when my brother came home. When your, this, your son. That's almost like Adam saying to God, the woman you gave me told me to eat it. Like, what are you saying? This is God's fault that I ate this because he gave me her. In other words, when, when you are, are guilty and functioning in terms of work and merit and pay, you become a blamer to the core. I, I can read off of John Piper's soul whether I am living in the enjoyment of mercy or not by how quickly I blame my wife and my daughter for things emotionally, whether I say anything or not. Blaming is interwoven. A life of blame, 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 blame is interwoven with this older brother's way of relating to God. It really ruins a lot of things. So what does the Father say to all this? That's what we want to hear mainly in the time that's left. I want to linger over this with you. He does five things. And if you're, if you're a younger brother and you're here and you, you were glad to hear that God is out after you to hug you and run down the road to get you and that's good news Will you just sit and enjoy right now mercy going to the older brother? Because this is mercy. This is amazing what happens here. And if you're, if you're in the older brother category with me, then prepare to be loved by Jesus who is representing the Father. That's the point of the parable. He's not just eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's talking to the Pharisees who are grumbling. He does five things. Number one, verse 28, second half of the verse. His father came out to him. The son is angry, really angry. Now, when, I, when, I, when I'm around people who get angry, I get angry at their anger. That's not good. That's not helpful. His father didn't do that. So the son is angry. He won't come in. Boy, we've all done this, right? Thanksgiving dinner, three families coming together, whatever, and somebody just got really bent out of shape half an hour ago. They're up in the bedroom, will not come down. They're about to ruin the whole day. That's what's going on here. I'm not going in there. He's a jerk. Now, at the table, everybody's totally tense. Dads, you got to do this. The dad, uh, all right. Going up to the bedroom. I'm going. How are you going? How are you going, Dad? What are you going to say? Get down there. Get to ruin the whole day. You idiot. You see, this is not worth. 
is not what he did. He, come, he comes out. This is the same thing he did with the younger brother, right? He got on the road, he ran, hugged him. And here are the kids on the porch. He will not come in. He's got his arm folded, anger. And the father comes out. You can tell by what he's going to say. He's not coming out with fists. He's not. He's coming out beseeching. That's the second thing. Verse 28, near the end. His father came out and began entreating him. I cannot help but believe that in Jesus' mouth, in this parable, that word is chosen precisely in distinction to commanding. Because the older brother said, I've kept all your commandments. And at a point where he has every right to command, you get in there and show some respect for your brother. He's saying he's sorry. We forgive in this family. Get in there. He, he doesn't command. It says he entreats. Now, just to let you feel the force of that, over in Philemon, I'm just looking for how language is used here. I'm not saying Philemon was written in the light of Luke 15. Just, Paul wrote this. Though I have confidence in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather entreat you. Exactly the same word. For love's sake, I have a right to command at this moment. I will not command at this moment. I will entreat. I will woo. I will invite. I will exhort. I will long and ache and yearn and plead. I will not command at this moment. Why? Performance is not what I'm after. Right? Parents, get this. Of course, we want kids who behave. Whether they're five or 25, we want them to behave. But if, if our whole mindset is... I have, a right, I have authority, I have a command, there should be conformity to the, to the commandment in response to the authority. That whole structure is master-slave. He didn't do it because he's not after a performance here. He's not after right external behavior. He is after a new relationship with his son. I want it to be fixed. God, if there's any way this could be fixed, use the tone of my entreaty rather than my commandment. Number three, the father calls him child. Now, sorry, in the ESV, the NIV, um, it simply says son. Um, Verse 31, he said to him, son. Now, that's sweet, but the word is... The word in the Greek is not the same as the word for son in verse 30. In verse 30 where it says, but when his son, this son of yours came home, this word, technon, is little child. It's not a belittling thing. He's not saying, you're just a little baby. You act like a baby. That's totally not the tone of this moment. The tone of this moment, whether, whether it helps you to use the word son or child, for me, it helps to say something like, my little boy. I love you so much. I I can remember you in diapers. I can remember you at five. I can remember you at 15 and all the games. Come come on. We, We want this family whole. Right? Isn't that the tone? He 
said to him, child. That's number three. Number four. He says, you're always with me. You see that? Verse 31. He said to him, child, you are always with me. And the problem is, this kid didn't care about that. <laughs> the younger son discovered, God, if I could just be home with my father. If I could just be home with my father. I mean, even as a servant. I mean, even as a servant. If I could be home with my father, not eating pig food with all these people that don't give a rip about me. If I could be home with the one who cares more about me than anybody in the world, I'll give anything to be with my father. And, and the father says to the older son, Here's, you're, you're always with me. With me. You're always with me. The deepest void in the older brother's heart is that he lived in the house with the father and he found it quite unsatisfying. Right? He lived with all the privileges of the elder brother, A, with the father every night, was the heir of everything. He wasn't happy with that situation. And the unhappiness came out when there was a contrast between some privileges for an undeserving brother and then his blaming and his anger and his resentment and his dissatisfaction with his father came out. He did not love his father. He didn't. He didn't love being with him. And so the father says, you're always with me. These are the words... The words of the elder brother here, these are the words of a person who loves partying with his friends at his father's expense rather than being with the father. You never let me party with my friends. You never provided for what I really want. You know, one of the most striking One of the most striking verses in Luke is in chapter 16, verse 14, where it says the Pharisees were lovers of money. You don't think about Pharisees loving money. You think about Pharisees loving the law and being legalists. Jesus said in chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. In other words, deep down behind all this legal religiosity was worldliness. Man, they loved. They loved to party. And they couldn't party. They had to go to church. Are you happy in church? Or is is this a cloak for business purposes? I don't know if that works in Dallas anymore. Doesn't many places. Used to. But still might work in Bible Belt. I don't know. Like this is this is safe because you look religious here, but you don't like it here. Those songs, bleh. I love them, Phil. You sing all day, and I'm with you. But I, 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 I wrote a response to a person. I mean, I, I recorded a response on APJ the other day because the question was, so-and-so, you'd know his name, just said he doesn't go to church and he can't worship God with singing. Some of you know who I'm talking about. It doesn't mean anything to him. So you might be here in the house, in the Father's house, so to speak, and hate it. 
this son did not love being with his father. That's what's the deepest void. He doesn't love his father. He doesn't enjoy sitting at table with his father. He's thinking about his friends and and the money he might get and whatever else is out there. But it, it sure doesn't meet his needs to be with the father. And the last thing the father says is, all that is mine is yours. Verse 31. All that is mine is yours. So Jesus looking over the heads of the tax collectors and sinners and staring at me and, and the other Pharisees right in the face. And he says to me, everything I have is yours. That's what God says. <laughs> Everything I have is yours. There's an inheritance for a son, not a slave. Watch out, son. Now, the, one of the most interesting things here is the father doesn't draw that out. He doesn't make the, the horrible implication explicit. Things hang at the end of this parable. They just hang. You get a trembling. What did he say? What did he do? Did, he, did it work? Did, did the son come in? Did Did he hear the implication? Sons get inheritances. Sons live with the father. Slaves don't. Please don't stay on the porch of merit. Don't boast on the porch of merit as obedient servant. Come into the family. Receive forgiveness from your brother and from me. Yes, you too need it. Come in and celebrate grace because there you get the inheritance. So, but he doesn't, he doesn't mention all the consequences and they're pretty horrible. He does mention them elsewhere and I'll leave them out because right here he's just wooing. He's just in, entreating. Come in from the porch of hard-earned merit and join me. Just like the older brother came in from the far country of misery, you come in from the porch of merit. You you can stay there and be miserable. You can stay here and inherit the wages of your sin. I mean, get paid the wages of your sins, not inheritance. Or you you can come in. So let me draw this to a close with these words. This is Jesus' tender word for the Pharisees. It's a remarkably tender word. It's a rare word, and I want you to hear it. It's the Father's word to everybody who's bitter and hard toward sinners. One of the greatest tests of whether you love mercy is whether you feel mercy towards sinners. You can tell if you're a Pharisee by whether your heart is moving to woo and rescue sinners, gross sinners, or whether you're disgusted at their behavior, period. I think behavior is disgusting. Sin is disgusting. 
infinitely more so than you know. But for those who know that they have sinned themselves onto the porch of merit as well as into the far country of misery, they've tasted mercy and they want to draw people in, not push people away. Four chapters later, chapter 19, verse 41, Luke says, when Jesus drew near to the city, it's Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known the day of peace, but now it is hid from your eyes. In another place, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. He's looking on Jerusalem, filled with Pharisees and the people who said, crucify him, crucify him, because he's wrecking our legal system of merit. And Jesus, one more time, is weeping. I'm sure the Father was on the brink of tears, if not weeping, when he came out to the older brother. Everything I have is yours. You've been with me forever. Come into the party. Your son, my son, your brother was dead, and now he's alive. So if you've never felt wept over by Jesus or by the Father with that kind of wooing, if you never had a father who you can imagine doing such a thing, you do have one. His name is God. He's represented by Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He's represented by Jesus telling the parable of the Father going out on the porch to entreat you now to come in. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for welcoming me this morning. I felt so, I felt dealt with so tenderly yesterday, last night, this morning. I feel it now, and I thank you for it. I don't feel pushed away in spite of all my gut reactions to sin that are pharisaical rather than merciful. And I want now, I want to ask that you would right across this congregation awaken a sense of the wonder of being wooed by a father of this kind, even if they didn't have one like this. I pray that you just rise, Lord, for the, for the prodigals here who've just been in the field of misery for decades and for the older sons, the Pharisees, who've out on the porch folding their arms, angry and bitter and blaming. Would you get us both, Lord, next to you at the table? Let smiles be all around the table. Let the family be restored. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.